0: Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive Podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the presentation from our February product event, where you'll hear from Jovan Melendez. Jovan is currently the group product manager at Podium. Jovan will demonstrate the hacks he uses to make smart and simple decisions that lead to impactful products strategies for working with teams throughout a company, and as a bonus, you'll learn how the snowboarding and surf cultures have influenced his career. A big thanks to Podium for hosting this meetup. And finally, be sure to join our community on Slack, where there's always lots of great conversation happening about UX, product management, and more. You can get an invite to our Slack group and find out more information about Product Hive at ProductHive.org. So now, Let's hear Jovan's talk, Bite-sized hacks for product managers.
1: So today the topic is bite-sized hacks for product managers or anybody who works in software. Um, And I'm really excited to to go over this with you all. Um, I think the whole point of this is you know sometimes when we go to meetups or conferences or workshops we we want to hopefully take something away from it. This is sort of like my attempt at like whittling things down that maybe you can try this afternoon or this week next week not this weekend um, and yeah we 'll see how we 'll see how it goes so a little little intro about me something that you might not know about me it 's something we do at podium is a little tradition that we sort of share like a, an unusual fact. And I was in the made-for-TV Disney movie, Luck of the Irish, in high school. That's me, right there. You can get it on Disney Plus. And a little more about me. This is me, I, I'm, I've am i got a little kiddo, Gabriel. He's 16 months, my wife, Anna. That's at the core. That's that's all that really matters to me in these, um, so. I do product management, you know, as like a side thing after those guys. So, so yeah, who is this for? What's the, what's the whole point of this? So um, I think about like advice that you get and something that stands out to me is, I I heard this adage, you guys have probably heard this, I'm probably butchering the quote, but it's something like the best advice is not following advice or something like that. Like everyone who gives advice, it's, it's just their context, their experience, and, it's, and it makes sense for them, right? This is sort of co- like a big caveat disclaimer of like, hey, this, I'm, this seems to be working for me. It might not be <laughs> the thing that works for you. And just thinking about that as like, as, as sort of a filter. All right, so here's, here's what we're gonna cover. There's a few things. If you can see that, the first thing is We're going to talk about some smart and simple designs that I found that lead to impactful products. After that, we'll cover strategies for working within the company. Being someone who is great to work with is something that I think a lot about. And then I grew up surfing and snowboarding, and I found some parallels from those cultures in in my work as a PM. So we could touch on that. So the first one, smart and simple designs that lead to impactful products. These are just hacks that work for me. I'm going to be covering about eight of them and they are quite different, but let's just talk about this. And, and I'll probably do like a pretty broad stroke of this. And if you want to catch up more, I can refer you to again, like blog posts or books and, or, or you can just catch up one-on-one. We're just going to take a pretty broad stroke at some of these, so. All right, so product market fit. Who, who here is working on a product that already exists, not like working on something brand new? So most of us. Okay. (laughs) Me too. When, When we think about product market fit, there's a definition that you're hiring sales and support as fast as you can. That's sort of the lagging indicator of product market fit. That's how you know that you've sort of achieved product market fit. But how do we identify sort of the early indications of, of product market fit, sort of like the leading indicators, and, and there's a methodology that a lot of you probably are probably already familiar with, but I thought I'd talk about it a little bit today and talk a little bit about how it's worked at Podio. So the idea is it's, all the, it's a survey-based approach that you email four questions to, to your users to uncover how likely they would be to Keep using your product in the sense of like how they would feel if they could no longer use it. So question number one is you email this to all of your users. You survey them and say, How would you feel if you could no longer use this product? The three responses are you're either very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, or not disappointed. You get that, and then you find out, you know, like you end up finding out some really interesting things. So that's question number one. In the same survey, you ask, what type of people do you think would most benefit from this product? And so, the type of responses that you'll get are people that will describe the ideal user, hopefully themselves in their sort of ideal state. And then you can get an idea of sort of the persona or the type of user that would really grasp onto the product. Third thing is, what is the main benefit of the product to you? So what is the core value that the product is driving, and then let the user articulate that. And then the fourth is, how can we improve the product for you? So. Let us know the features that are most interesting to you and, or the problems that you want to solve. Um, let's just get those out and start collecting those. All right, so I'll pause there. The, the, the first one, let's go back to this. How, would, how could we, or how would you feel if you could no longer use the product? This one, the way you identify product market fit is if you're above 40% of the respondents are in that very disappointed cohort. Um that's, that's sort of something that we've seen. Sean Ellis, who was early at Dropbox, found this. He was on the growth team. And they, they found that once they were just at north of 40%, then, then they saw that they were hiring salespeople as fast as they can, support people as fast as they can. And so that was, that was an indicator that, okay, people are really latching onto this so we, we've done we've been doing some scoring and benchmarking on our end um, most recently and on a couple of our products we're just north of that forty percent most recent one slack is at fifty one percent very disappointed and so it's it's a fun sort of guidepost that we can always say how can we get our how, how might we get our product to you know fifty plus percent or whatever it is just increase the group that are very disappointed that they if they could no longer use the product I think what is maybe like the end goal is 100% of people would be very disappointed. This third question is what is the main benefit of the product to you? That one's really interesting because then you can get an idea of the value that the people are really deriving from the product. And so that's that's sort of like at the core of what the the product should be should be for for them and like how they're describing the value. So when you take all of this, this response data, you can just throw it in like a word cloud and then get a, a sense of what's really sticking out to people. And then the last thing is, how can we improve the product for you? Then So you what you really want to think about is you build 100% of the things that the very disappointed group asks for. And then, so you split your time between 50% of that, then 50% of what, the somewhat disappointed group asks for, because you want to convert that somewhat group to the very disappointed group. And if that, but you only build the things that really ladder up to number three is the main benefit. And then you, you know, politely ignore the, the not disappointed groups because they're never going to capture or understand the value of the product. And so whatever you build for them, they'll, they'll never be satisfied. So it sort of automates the roadmap for you in a sense. Moving on, another hack that I think about is if you're building a new product or a new experience, um, I always, we, we have sort of a saying here is like, does it pass sort of the criteria of is this experience simple, is it useful, is it fun? And the fun part is, is sort of sometimes thought about at the end, like how, how might we make this a little bit more fun to use, a little bit more of a fun experience? That's just something I think about that is an easy, quick hack to think about as you're planning for something or about to release some code, do that quick gut check. An example of that that I think about that not saying that we overlook, but sometimes isn't as obvious is, is just thinking about, well, being really deliberate about quality. So building really high quality products takes an incredible amount of discipline, of, about a of behind the scenes discipline, especially as your, as your team grows. That's Todd Jackson, who ran product teams at at Dropbox. An example of that is don't ever sacrifice quality, even if it means stopping the presses at at the 11th hour. Sort of a story that I had was when I I first learned about this tech world and startups, um, I was fortunate enough to join an early stage company called Scan in San Francisco. And the company was focused on tying offline events to online events, like offline transactions into online transactions. And the way we did that was through a little iPhone, Android app that scanned QR codes and barcodes. And we were finding that we wanted to redesign the app into a second version. And we saw that all of the positive feedback in the app store was, it was a fast, app fast and simple was were sort of the two main benefits that we wanted to really dial up in the second version and we had we were about to release um this this we were about to send you know deploy the app and send it through the approval processes at the app store um and we saw that like the speed wasn't as great as it could have been like we were about we were we really had this high bar and we really wanted to just be like about 50, 60 milliseconds less than where, where we were able to, um, so the experience was you launch the, camera, the app, it goes into a camera and then you could scan a code. But the experience from op- launch app to code scan, it wasn't at that sort of threshold that we said it would be double the speed of any other um, app out there if we get it to like this sort of this threshold. And so, we almost shipped it and then we stopped and then we stayed up all night. People ended up falling asleep and we got it to that point where it met that mark and then we shipped it. Um, we, were, we were lucky enough, a few times this happened where like any app developer, you always want to be above Facebook in the App Store rankings and we did that a few times. Um, so, that was a fun one. Fun to see that old interface. Um, okay. So shifting gears from sort of like those, the first part to the second part about strategies for working within the company um, and just working with teams throughout a company. So something I think about a lot is our work, whether you're a designer or product manager, whatever you do, our work requires leadership and leadership requires good relationships. So the more, the better relationships you have with people, the stronger your team will be and and i i think about that a lot because the stronger the relationship is the better the communication is and and the better the communication is the the more trust there is with the team so a second part of that is is sort of this concept of lose the ego i can tell you like a, an experience i've had is like sometimes i'll get in this mindset and it happens and i need to be better at it but I think through a problem. I write a nice narrative about it. I put it in the roadmap. It's like in my mind, it makes such great sense. I've got data charts to back this thing up, and then I'll like maybe show it to someone cross-functionally. They're like, "Oh yeah, that's cool." And so, and then I'm like, "Wait, like, don't you get it?" And like, and I'm just like, this person's like, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, like, they they got to get it. Like, these guys got to figure it out. Like, it's so obvious. And that's where like the ego comes in. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, of course they're not like on the same page as you. They didn't do, they didn't do like 20 hours worth of research, whatever it is. Um they're thinking about something completely different. It's a complete context switch into my world if I'm talking to them about it. So just thinking about losing the ego in every interaction and in every situation helps build relationships across the company and it helps strengthen teams, and it helps strengthen the, the, the mission of what you're doing. Another hack, be the reiterator of the vision. Um, we have to do this. So it's so easy, There's, this comes from like a, a, a Steve Jobs quote that I saw when he was early days at at um, Next, the startup he did after he got fired from Apple. Um, he was he was in this room, it's like a PBS documentary, it's fascinating. It's worth, worth watching parts of it. It's, I think it's really cool, but he's in a, he's in this, he's being interviewed by PBS and you see him, um, working with his team and he's saying, look, like there are a bunch of people in here that left their jobs at Apple or big, great companies. And we're working on something massive. And this is where it's going to be. It's going to be this, you know, amazing thing and he's like you have to be the reiterator of the vision because people are so in the weeds of what they're working on that they have to zoom out and step back and every now and then just to know like all right our goal might be a thousand miles away but each step that you take is actually making progress towards that goal and and just you have to be there telling them like hey we're we're getting there a step closer even though if it's even though it's so far away this hack number four, avoid one size fits all communication. So, what I mean by that is if I'm giving somebody a, an update about how sort of the status of a product or a project is going, it depends. My what I communicate is very different. What I communicate to like a CEO or a head of product, the way I communicate that is very different than as I would to like a customer success manager or someone in, in like Accounting and and so you always got at least for me. I don't want to say you always at least for me I always want to be thinking about um, If I see somebody in the elevator, what's the 30-second pitch update for them of what I'm up to? So if it's the CEO, I want to think about all right, what does winning look like for them? Um, And then speak to the update in that 30 seconds of of what it is for them versus a customer success person in like a 30-minute um, training about really the same, the same project. So, I, I really think about tweaking those types of updates or communications for the individual, and that helps with that same mission of, of building relationships, because when you build those relationships, it you buy more communication, it increases trust, and then it furthers the mission of, of the team. Um, and then be a crap umbrella. So my team made, so this is something I think about a lot and I always sit at the end of sort of the hallway where like a lot of people are walking and the, the team is sort of tucked away from sort of the foot traffic. And I do that strategically so that people, if someone wants to talk to an engineer, I'll just like, hey, how can I help, right? and it's, it, those are, those are little tactical ways of me being a crap umbrella. And my team actually made me a mug with that emoji on it. And it's just sitting on my desk right now. Um, but just, just thinking about like, how can I protect my team? So I learned this pretty early on, um, at that, at that, at a, the first company I was at. And I always thought about myself as like, okay, I'm a no talent person because the, the real talent are the engineers and the designers. They're the one making the stuff. I'm not writing any code. I'm not, I'm not designing anything. And so how can I make their lives easier? All right, let me take the boring stuff away from their plate, the, administ- the administrative, uninteresting things as, as best as I can. And I, so I think about that a lot um, and how that is, a cor- is correlated with the morale of the team. And I found that teams that have high morale ship more, ship faster, they, they care more about quality, and they're just more invested. Oh, this one. So when talking to a manager, indirect approach wins. So this is kind of loaded. So this is one of those ones that I could catch up with you guys sort of one-on-one or whatever it is, but it's, it's more of like, there's sort of a couple of approaches that to conversations. You can be bold in the direct, like use brute force and say like, this is my point, like, let me get this out or you could you could step back lose the ego a little bit and then say okay what does winning look like for them what what is what, what are their incentives and then rephrase any idea or conversation to really sort of get on the same page with them and so i think about you know if you if you ever think about like Maybe it's not a manager or just, or somebody across the company that you might not disagree with or you might disagree with. Um, instead of like trying to brute force your idea, just ask them, like, so let me help, let me understand this a little bit better. Can you, can you like walk me through like your thinking on this? You, you, in, in some ways, you, you probably have more experience than I do. I might not be, you know, catching it or like I might be a little bit slow on this. And then, from there, a lot of times you really understand their thinking, and then you might be on the same page or or whatever so this is just this is just one that i've found improves relationships and it just makes communication just a lot simpler and Again, we can talk more so hack number seven: celebrating wins. be deliberate in celebrating wins, whether they 're big or small um, we've, We have some things in, in the on our team where if someone ships their first, you know, PR right when they join the team, we celebrate with Martinelli's right after stand-up. And it's like something so, like, small, but it has become part of our culture. We, we have a lot of ice cream here. This was after an event that we did at Facebook, and it, it ended up going really well. But it's, we, we're always celebrating these things and documenting it, and it becomes part of the, part of the culture that we celebrate the small wins along the way. I think that's important because if you're celebrating only the big stuff, big things only happen so often. And I think it's important to measure things at a, at a micro level, and, or sorry, celebrate things that are at more of a micro level. Because I think as humans, I don't really have a ton of data to back this up, but I think I have a hunch that like the if we celebrate things in like a sort sort of like a a little bit more often, then it's easier to feel like we're making progress, and so I think about that, I think about that a lot. Okay, so getting into sort of this third part. With snowboarding and and surfing, um, there's sort of a mentality of of surf everything, write anything mentality, and with that comes some ambiguity, and so I I um, I grew up in Puerto Rico. Um, I was there until I was about eight years old. My dad surfed growing up and it was just something that I grew up on the beach and, and I, and I, I moved to Utah. So I didn't surf at all. I started snowboarding and I moved to the Bay area. I picked up surfing and, um, there's this concept of like dawn patrol where you go surf before, before, you know, the sun comes out. And that was really like, scary for me honestly (laughs) because i would get out to santa cruz and it would just be pitch black you just hear these massive like the ocean is just sounds so scary at that time you're walking down the stairs and you get in the water and it's like you have no idea what's down here there's sharks like i don't know and so the idea of like being okay with this ambiguity or stepping into a situation that you don't really know the exact outcome um, that was just the thing that you do when you're, when you're surfing or like when you go snowboarding or if you hike in the backcountry, you don't know if it's going to be like that good of a ride or, or whatever it is. But similarly, when you're building software, there's a lot of ambiguity and you just kind of embrace that mentality. And, and, and I think a lot about, about how that's sort of affected my work in an indirect way. And when it comes to to PM work, do the thing that people don't want to do. Um, be that person that like asks, "All right, like, what are the, what are the things I can take off your plate that'll make your life easier?" And and if you're in a setting, you know, with a PM team, and it's like, "All right, we've got these five things. Like, all right, what does everyone not want to do? Okay, I'll just do that, because again, that builds that builds trust. That builds like, you know, you're 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 being a team player and I think a lot about how that sort of supports the, the mission of the team. And yeah, so something something else that I think about, back to like that one point, just building trust. The easiest way to build trust is just perform, like just performance. Like if you say you're going to do a thing, you do it. And that over time just builds trust. I think that's just the easiest way. And this is, this is an example of our team, you know, we're always, working on things and some things might not be as interesting, like getting ready for a meeting that we're we're presenting, what we've done to like an exec team or or whatever, but just embrace doing the things that you don't want to do sometimes. So I think that's it. Yeah, thank you.
0: A big thanks to Jovan Melendez for presenting and again to Podium for hosting the event. If you learned some things from Jovan's talk, be sure to share it with your team, or share it on Twitter, and mention us at Product underscore Hive. Sharing these talks is a great way to support Product Hive. As always, be sure to check out all our upcoming events. You can find them by searching for Product Hive on meetup.com, and while you're there, go ahead and join the group so you always get the latest updates. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find videos of all the past talks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you at one of our next events.